title is The Great Architect. Oh, are you ready, sir? Let me start now. Mark McGarvey will come with the split sermon, The Great Architect. Would you come, sir? Good afternoon. Thank you, Ken. I was ready. And I hope you guys had a, a good week and were able to escape some of the storms. Uh, we did. We weren't injured. But I tell you, what a bad week to have our roof repaired. <laughs> We've been planning this for a couple of years. And um, they started work on our roof on Wednesday afternoon. And they got two-thirds of it done. And then, was it 2 a.m. in Sepulpa, we got hammered Thursday morning. I mean, the storms came through, the wind woke me up. And, and in my son's bedroom, we had water dripping down through the air vent in his room onto the wood floor at 2 a.m. And so I went up in the attic, had a look. And luckily, we have about two feet of insulation they blew in there a few years ago. But what happened... I guess a small limb had fallen off one of the trees and poked through that new shingle and the felt and made a tiny little hole on one of the creases where the, the plywood was on the roof. So there was a tiny drip coming down into the um, attic and it crept. And what it did, what it does, my father-in-law told me this the other night, is what water will do when it goes to a situation like that is it will drip down slowly through the insulation and it will find the nearest rafter and run along that rafter to wherever it can get out. It just so happened it runs slightly downhill to my son's vent above his room, and it started dripping down through there. So, uh, But they, f they came back Thursday, and they were done by 11 a.m., and then the next storm came through. <laughs> Our backyard is covered in limbs and leaves, and oh, man, but the roof is on now, so that part is done. We're happy. Anyway, so... Um, we went to, my family went to uh, Colorado about six weeks ago for a church summer camp. And uh, up in uh, Estes Park, about, you know, about an hour northwest of Denver. And absolutely beautiful location. And really gives you a feel for God's wonderful creation. Um, I've always loved Colorado anyway, since the first time I went there back in uh, 1999. I think Denver is one of the most beautiful cities. As you come in from the east, we came in from Kansas, that direction. You've got the downtown Denver there and the Rocky Mountains right behind it. I mean, it just looks beautiful, stunning. Um, and the whole week we were there, the sun was shining, it was warm. Uh, it's dry heat up there. And where we were at was just under 8,000 feet elevation. Um, a lot drier air, though. You really appreciate the humidity when it's that dry. It was so dry, a couple of the kids had nosebleeds. Um, but the, the beauty of the mountains, uh, and where we were at, the, the, the log cabin where they had most of the breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and some of the activities, Mount Mika sits right behind it. Mount Mika is 14,000 foot. And of course, the last several hundred feet are covered in snow, even though this was early June. Um, it's just breathtaking to see that. And of course, we had moose wandering around in the forest. There was reports of a black bear not far from there. Um, but it really is a beautiful location. And just another wonderful example of God's awesome creation. He is the great architect. 
So what is an architect? It is someone who plans, designs, and oversees the construction of buildings or projects. And as a side note to that, when I was younger, I wanted to be an architect or a draft, draftsman back in England. And I was always good at, at art and artistry and that kind of thing and drawing. And so I thought this would be a good, a good career to follow when I was 10, 11, 12, 13. I also liked journalism. I, that was another option I was thinking of at the time. But um, Matt can relate to this, being from England. They have a thing called, I don't know if they had it in your school, but work experience. Yeah, so this was back in 1989, I was 15. We had uh, the work experience I chose to have. What, what it is, is when kids were at school, the last, uh, for our school, it was the second to last year. So they finished school at 16 in Britain, by the way. Um, unless you stay for sixth form, it's two more years. But anyway, that second to last year in our school, they give you one week work experience later on in the school year and where you go to a proper work environment and work for a week doing your choice of work. And so I went to work for a chartered architect's company in Watford, in the town where I lived. And it was a small company. Gilly Ross was the name of the company. Uh, the guy who owned the company had the, the greatest share was his last name was Gilly, um, an English Jewish guy. And it was a small company. There was like five or six employees and himself and the other guy who owned the company. And it was great. I loved it. I was there for you know, Monday through Friday and really had a good insight in what, to what all they do and what they plan and how they, they go about um, designing these buildings and, and houses and, and, and structures. Then I found out how much education was needed. <laughs> Seven years. So from the time you leave school after sixth form, like I mentioned earlier, 18, you then have another seven years of, uh, of college and university to get fully qualified to be a chartered architect. So that kind of put me off a little bit. Um, but I still liked it. But I, as, it, as it turned out in the end, I went down a different road and became a carpenter. I was a carpenter in England for, uh, for seven years before I emigrated over here. But um, I've always still had a, a liking for it, a taste for it, to, to look at things like that way um, has always interested me. So God is the great architect of the universe. What we call planet Earth was designed and constructed by God. The skies, the atmosphere, the air we breathe, designed for a purpose. And you go on out into space, our own solar system, with the planets revolving around the sun. And God perfectly placed us just under 93 million miles from the sun, which gives us our seasons, um, the seas and oceans to have their tides and to sustain life on Earth. He also designed the billions of other stars and galaxies out there, much of which is still a mystery to scientists and the world. How big is the universe? How old is it? And so on. But God has all the answers, and one day he will give us those answers. But you know what God's greatest design is? It's us, human beings. As it says, you can turn there if you want, in Genesis 1, chapter 1, verse 26, the verse we know well, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. 
Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So he said, let us make man in our image. As a perfect being, we were, as a perfect being, God, we were to be his representatives on earth and to reign over all his creation. We were to be in his image, not the angel's image, but his. So he designed us with a head, with two arms, two legs, the ability to walk, run, climb, jump. He gave us a mind and our own free will, which unfortunately will lead to the downfall of humankind with Adam and Eve eaten of the fruit. But let's look at a few things here. The, the human brain, how complex it is. Um, the wonder of the human eye and its sophistication of how not all of us have, have great eyes, but just the, the whole, how it's all put together. Or even how we communicate with each other. It's not grunts or high-pitched noises, although some of us guys feel like just grunting after a long week. You know, after a whole week. I did that this week. Didn't feel much like talking, but, you know, we talk, human languages, so many hundreds of different ways that human beings communicate with each other. We can talk loudly. We can whisper. Um, we can talk and get emotional. Or we can just talk. Just two people, three people, four people, whatever. Talk for hours and hours. So how can we compare man's feats as architects, man's abilities as architects pale in comparison to God's creation and everything he planned and designed. For me, um, I think the most significant, significant architectural achievements, I'll give you a few anyway, I mean you can think of many more I'm sure. I would go with, first of all, uh, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, um, the Taj Mahal, I think St. Paul's Cathedral in London is up there, um, the Eiffel Tower in France, or France, as they say. Um, the Twin Towers in New York, New York City. And even the Sydney Opera House in Australia, which I, I saw when I was over there in 1998. Um, but it's, it's, it's unique. Whenever you see the Sydney Opera House on TV, you know what it is. It's unlike any other building in the world with its funny-shaped roof. Uh, whatever your views on the Catholic Church, I think many of us can agree that St. Peter's Basilica is a monumental building achievement. My wife has seen it. She was over there in Rome. In 1998, she went on a uh, trip to Europe, and they took in a lot of those European cities, Madrid, Barcelona, Paris, and they went to Rome. And she saw it, and she went into it and everything. She told me about it and how, how awesome it is. Um, I haven't been there, unfortunately, but I'd like to someday. So I'll give you a little rundown of, of St. Peter's Basilica. It took 120 years to build, 
They broke ground in 1506, and it was completed in 1626. It had many architects over the years, seven or eight architects to run down the whole 120 years, Michelangelo being the most famous. And it was his final design of the face of the building, and it was his design for the actual dome itself, the big dome, which, by the way, has a circumference of 140 feet, 141 feet, I think, to be exact. It's absolutely huge. And when you see pictures or watch it on YouTube, whatever, see the light streaming down through the, the windows, looks absolutely stunning. So the math involved in getting that dome just right to sit up there and to hold for the last 500 years, incredible. A real, real tremendous feat of engineering for the 16th and 17th centuries. And of course, Michelangelo was up there with Leonardo da Vinci as a tremendous great mind, a great thinker. Um, so everything about it is huge. It's on a gargantuan scale. Um, you know, you've got these high 200-foot ceilings. You've got um, the massive rooms and the antechambers off here and there and everywhere. The columns that are 200 feet high. I recommend, if you haven't seen pictures of it before, to check it out. It really is stunning, and the, the actual size of the place. You look at the size of the people in these pictures, and then the size of the building all around them. It looks absolutely massive. So that's one I would, I would definitely say is up there in the world of architecture, St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Another one I mentioned a minute ago was the Twin Towers in New York City. Now, I, have, I did go to the Twin Towers. My family came over here for the Feast of Tabernacles in 1988, and we went to Pasadena for the feast itself, but on the way back, we flew in and out of uh, JFK, and we stayed with uh, some of my parents' Irish relatives in New York and in Queens, and that day we flew out, we had the entire day, I think we were flying out at 8 p.m. from JFK, and some of my dad said, let's go into New York, let's go down and see the Twin Towers, down in Manhattan. So off we went, all seven of us, I think it was at the time, and absolutely stunning. I was 14 at the time, and I remember going up to, because uh, the Twin Towers, there was only one tower that the public was allowed to go up to, and tourists were allowed to go up and, and visit. And I remember, uh, it was October 1988, I remember standing outside one of them just looking up. And I'd never seen anything like it, because the tallest building in Britain was like 400 feet or something, the, the, in London. And, this, and the Twin Towers, I believe, they stand at, they stood at 1,376 feet or something. Uh, incredible height. And uh, I was just, we all were. I mean, I was 14, my brother was 12, my other brother was 9 or 10, and my other, youngest brother was 6. And we just loved it. It was just amazing to us. And, of course, the Twin Towers, the way they designed it, um, it doesn't have one big, I guess the, uh, the architect was, uh, I've got it written down here somewhere, um, Japanese-American, Yamazaki. He's the guy, the architect, chief architect. And he said to save space, he didn't want to have one big central elevator in the middle. He'd rather have, I think it was three different levels. So we took the elevator from uh, road level up 40 floors. Then you go over on this the sky lobby over to another side of the building and go up another 40 floors, then transfer again for the last one up for the last 20 or 30 floors because the... Um, the main touristy areas up on the 110th floor, I think it was. And the elevator absolutely flew up there like 60 miles an hour. They had signs in there. Well, maybe it wasn't that fast, but it felt like it. 
they had signs in there about weightlessness and to hold on to the bars in there because it doesn't move so fast, but it gets you up to in no time. I'd rather take that than take the stairs, if you know what I mean. Um, but it, 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 it's just an amazing feat of architecture and, and design. And um, it was, they broke ground in it in 1966. And the first tower opened up in 1970, and I think the second one, 1971. And for a couple of years, they held the record as the tallest buildings in the world. But um, it was just so sad, as we all know, the tragedy and the horror of 9-11, to see those two buildings come crashing down was just horrific for anybody to see. And, you know, uh, the Twin Towers, the gateway to America, you know, New York City, is just an icon of America, of the greatness of America. And just to see them come down was just... Uh, Tremendous tragedy. So I wanted to compare those two great works of man's architecture with an aspect of God's design brilliance. I had a discussion with my wife about this, and it was between what was I going to talk about, skin cells or the heart. And skin cells are amazing. How they're Oh, how they're an amazing part of our anatomy and our makeup. Um, the wondrous intricacies on a minute, minute scale, which can only come from a supreme intelligence. But I opted for the heart. Of all the organs in the body, I think the heart um, is the most complex and hardworking. Without a heart, one cannot live. You know, it's unlike the kidneys or gallbladder, if you had a gallbladder removed, or even limbs, if you lose a limb. You lose your heart, heart's removed, you're not going to live. It's essential. So what I've got here is a little thing I'm going to read from my phone here. I got um, online. And I just wanted to, to run this down and, and, and explain something about the heart because this... This breaks it down into just the generalizations of, of, of how amazing it is. Here we go, quote, The heart is a muscular organ in humans and other animals which pumps blood through the blood vessels of the circulatory system. Blood provides the body with oxygen and nutrients and also assists in the removal of metabolic wastes. The heart is located in the middle compartment of the mediastinum in the chest. In humans, other mammals, and birds, the heart is divided into four chambers, upper left and right atria, and lower left and right ventricles. Commonly, the right atrium and ventricle are referred together as the right heart, and the left counterparts as the left heart. You know, a lot of people say they feel the heart more on the left-hand side. Well, that part is stronger, and it does slightly, it does apex towards the left on 99.9% .9 of human beings. The heart does lean that way. Although I, have, I did see a guy about a month ago on TV, his is more stronger on the right. I'm not sure if it, if it leans that way, but it was weird to hear. It was on that, uh, that show we watched, American Ninja Warrior. It was, uh, it was weird to hear that, but his is more stronger on the right-hand side. Um, so let's see here. So fish, in contrast, have just two chambers, an atrium and a ventricle, which replies, while reptiles, sorry, have three chambers. In a healthy heart, blood flows one way through the heart due to heart valves, which prevent backflow. The heart is in 
closed in a protective sac, the pericardium, which also contains a small amount of fluid. The wall of the heart is made up of three layers, which gives it extra strength. Epicardium, myocardium, and endocardium. The heart pumps blood through the body. Blood low in oxygen from the systemic circulation enters the right atrium from the superior and inferior uh, venae cavae, which are the, the, the veins, and, pass <coughs> and passes to the right ventricle. From here, it is pumped into the pulmonary circulation through the lungs, where it receives oxygen and gives off carbon dioxide. Oxygenated blood then returns to the left atrium, passes through the left ventricle, and is pumped out through the aorta to this systemic circulation, where the oxygen is used and metabolized to carbon dioxide. In addition, the blood carries nutrients from the digestive tract to various organs of the body while transporting waste to the liver and kidneys. Normally, with each heartbeat, the right ventricle pumps the same amount of blood into the lungs as the left ventricle pumps to the body. And I won't read any more. I don't want to bore you, but it goes to show how wonderfully designed it really is and how it provides... If you've ever seen a heart on TV or they've inserted cameras into people as they, as they operate on them, how they've got somebody's chest open and there's a heart beating, pumping, doing its thing. And we watched a show on uh, PBS about two or three weeks ago about the, uh, from when a baby is formed and what all goes on. And through the average lifetime of a human being, from the time of birth through, say, 75 years, a heart beats three billion times in a human being's lifetime. Incredible. Now, I remember seeing uh, Owen and Lily's heartbeat uh, on the scan when Dala was uh, 20 weeks along. So small, just a black and white little mass on the screen. It's unmistakable, it's clear as day. Little thing beaten right there. It's just amazing. On the, on the show, it explained that it's between 22 and 40 days after conception that a baby's heart is formed, along with its brain, spinal, spinal cord, and other organs. 22 to 40 days after conception. And it showed it on the show. This, at the time, is, is a small little mass about yay, and the little heart there, beating. That's a life. It's a life form right there. No mistake in it. So what a, what a wonderful way God created the heart to be a visible proof of a life, which you can see either on a monitor, in the case of an ultrasound, or and you're just holding your child in your arms, like I was after Owen was born, especially Lily, not so much, because she was in a, um, she was in a, uh, she was a preemie, so she had to be in a, one of those glass boxes. I, they were able to take her out one time, and I held her. Um, but just holding them right there, and seeing the little chest moving, you know, wonderful, beautiful. So just another example of God's superior intelligence in his creation blueprint. 
as architects have blueprints for a certain job. As I mentioned earlier, wouldn't it be one day awesome to see, to see how God created us the way he did? Um, his blueprint for the structure of the human body and to see the mysteries of the body explained, which is still a mystery to many, many doctors and scientists. We don't know how this does this, but it does that. We can't explain how this does that, but it works for that. And when it is explained to a scientist or a doctor, you know, in the world tomorrow, they'll say, so that's why that does that. Ah, I see now. It becomes so clear. So with that in mind, let's look at a couple of scriptures here to look at God's brilliance and his design, his creation. Let's begin. Both these scriptures are in the book of Job, actually. Job chapter 38 and verses 1 through 11. Job chapter 38, verses 1 through 11. Okay. Job chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now, prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors? When I said, this far you may come but no farther? And here your proud waves must stop. Tremendous, thunderous words from a, an awesome God. Explain that, Job. Explain it to me. And then over in chapter 40, and verses 1 through 5. Job chapter 40, verses 1 through 5. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Job didn't know how to respond. How could he? How could he explain that? Nobody could. God really put him in his place. You know, explain this to me, Job. How did I create the world? How did I do this? How did I do that? Job didn't know what to say. You know, we have a wonderful and awesome creator God. He gave us, us, his greatest creation, a mind that we can dream up our ideas of architecture, a vision to build something, and an inquisitive mind to ask questions. He created us much, much more differently than other animals, as you know. And with our intelligence that he gave us, we should say thank you. I saw an interesting quote here recently from um, 
Anthony Flew, and it is pronounced that way. He's a British uh, professor, but his name is spelled Anthony, A-N-T-O-N-Y. He's taken out the H there. Anthony Flew, a British professor of philosophy at Oxford. Uh, he died uh, six years ago. Um, I think he was in his 80s when he died, but he was a, uh, he'd been an atheist for over 50 years. But he had a dramatic turn of events in his life uh, in the 1980s when he was, would be in his, probably in his 60s. Um, he wrote a book about it. Uh, sorry, I didn't write down the name of the book, but the, his name is Anthony Flew. And from what I've seen about the book, it, it really is an incredible to see how a guy who was a complete atheist turned around and became a believer in the creation. Um, he, pointed, he pointed out that later in his life, the evidence started turning against atheism and toward a created God. I've got a quote here. Quote, I now believe that the universe was brought into existence by an infinite intelligence. I believe that this universe's intricate laws manifest what scientists have called the mind of God, end quote. That there is an incredible statement. The infinite intelligence of God. We can look to the kingdom of God for God to give the architects among us a chance to shine as we go about repairing a destroyed world um, after the end time battle between Christ and Satan. Although some of the uh, all-time great works of architecture may be lost, there will be ample time and opportunity to build and construct new and fascinating structures. So I'm going to close with this one final scripture in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. Ephesians 2, 2 and verses 4 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As any architect knows, you have to have a, a solid foundation for any kind of building. You know, the taller the building, the deeper the ground you have to go, into the ground you have to go. For example, the Twin Towers went down a good 100 feet or so just to support that amazing weight. Uh, it has to be anchored to withstand its own weight um, as well as the forces of nature earthquakes and weather and so on. Our firm foundation is Jesus Christ. We are the great architect, architect's 
finest work. We are his finest work. But we need help. Christ's sacrifice for us ensures that we can spend eternity with him and God the Father in the kingdom. We are his workmanship. We are wonderfully made and we are called and chosen. And for that, for that, you must be thankful.